Hi everyone and welcome back to another episode of From the Lighthouse. I'm Stephanie and I'm joined here today by my friends and colleagues Jimmy. Hi Jimmy. Hi Steph. And Michelle. Hello Michelle. Hi Steph. And we have all recently watched the same film and we are going to talk about it today and that film is Portrait of um, a Young Lady on Fire and it is a French film that came out in 2019. Um, I think it premiered at Cannes and it has since um, received lots and lots of praise and won awards and all sorts of things. So um, we're just going to have a bit of a roundtable discussion on the film. We all watched it, I think, quite recently. So, Jimmy, what did you think of Portrait of a Young Lady on Fire? Well, I, I really liked it. Um, I, to be honest, I, I didn't know what I was actually um, expecting when I, when I watched the film because it, it's one of those films that, that I'd heard a lot of buzz about and I'm always a little bit wary whenever I hear a lot of buzz about films because I think mm, it's going to live up to the, the hype, it's not going to live up to the hype. And I think what I walked away with in this film is it's doing something different, which I like, you know, quite a lot in, in, in that sense. I also think it's a, a very beautiful film, like, you know, visually, stunningly quite, quite a beautiful film, um, despite some of the problems that uh, Michelle and I have discussed previously, which we, we won't mention now. Um, but in terms of its subject matter I, I think you know it's it's a film that kind of really drew me in um in, in terms of the, the two lead and I really love some of the ideas it expressed about the the role and nature of art and also of the the object of art as well and in particular I've, I've read a lot about um this idea and this is something I want to, to talk to the two of you most specifically about which is that this film is meant to be as the, the director herself has stated a manifesto on the female gaze. Uh, and it got me wondering, you know, is it actually a manifesto on, on the female gaze or is there something more that's happening? Because I thought there was actually more happening underneath than just simply about the female gaze. I thought it was just, um, it's an interesting idea that's, that's explored in the film, but I, I, I thought there was a little bit more than that. What did you guys think? Well, I guess, you, because the whole notion of the gaze is so loaded, you know, it, it's a very powerful sort of lens through which to, to, to view the film because, you know, you have the weight of centuries of the male gaze, um, you know, to, to unpack and to, uh, you know, sort of look back at and, and, and challenge. And, and, and so, you know, sort of when you go through and you, analyze I guess the scenes and think of them in terms of a you know sort of a, a gazing back or a, or a women's gaze then you see a really deliberate structure emerge um, you know sort of where you're, you're taken to I guess you know sort of historical male gazes whether that's through art and painting whether it's through um, you know sort of the the film and the camera um, you, you know, sort of whether it's sort of the writing of, you know, a social context where, you know, sort of a, a social context is, you know, it's very common to see a homosocial world in, in, you know, sort of how many movies right to today are sort of basically homosocial worlds. And what you see is you get this very sort of powerful and concerted effort to generate, um, you know, sort of, I, I don't want to call it a kind of social world because <laughs> it doesn't sound good, but, you know, a, a world of women who are, um, you know, sort of the centre, front and centre. Um, and I, I guess actively, um, you know, sort of reversing 
gazes and messages and even from within the painting, you know, so even the painting itself speaks back, you know, it's coded to speak back, um, you know, so, 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 so I, think, I think that manifesto of the, of the female gaze is, is a really powerful way to, to, to view the film. Um, yeah, I think that's apparent in the, in the last um, section of the film where there, there all of a sudden is a man in the film. And it's just when you when you see the first man or first men come into the field into the film right at the end, um, when Eloise is, is going to be married, it's a shock. <laughs> you know, it's like, what are you doing here? This is a woman's, it's a woman's world, you know what I mean? And it's so being structured around the lives and experiences of these women that going back into a more kind of familiarly masculine world is, is a visceral kind of pulling you up moment. At least it was to me. It felt like, oh, okay, we're, we're back to the, the quote-unquote real world almost. Even though these women have been in a real world, the fact that it's, it's I don't know, a more familiar, especially like in, in historical, because this is a historical piece, it's a historical fiction, we're so used to seeing men's stories, I think, being foregrounded that when you just take them out of the story altogether, it's shocking almost when you see them re-enter the story and you think this is has been like a women's community and now it's it's a more recognisable patriarchal world and that's shocking and almost hard to deal with. It's, he's such an intrusive figure. And I think also because he's such a significant figure because he comes bearing the Countess and he comes to take away Marianne. So, you know, sort of you, you, you sort of see the way that, you know, sort of the, I guess the man is disruptor, you know, sort of the, the intrusion. Um, and it is, it's almost a, a brutal experience to see him in the kitchen and especially because it's the kitchen and I mean you know the the, the choices that because I mean Jimmy when you said the film is beautiful it's, it's sumptuous it, it, it's gorgeous just in um you know sort of that decayed splendor um but also when you think about the decisions being made in that because we could have seen him at the door we could have seen him you know sort of in the entryway we could have seen him coming up the but no we saw him right in the heart of that um, kitchen, which was just such, which became such a refuge and, and such a place of, of joy and, um, you know, sort of discovery and, you know, sort of all of the things that, that the, because the, I think the card playing happened in the kitchen, you know, sort of the, um, the, the bonding between the three women happened in the kitchen, they're eating together, you know, all of those things um, really were completely and utterly sort of, um, I guess, shattered at the moment at which you saw that man sitting there and what he meant um, for the women. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that. I mean, I, I think it was deliberately shocking to sort of show him, you know, seated in, uh, in, in the kitchen in that sense, because it is such a, a domestic space and suddenly have this male intrusion into this domestic space, space is very apparent. But one of the things that I also noticed about the film is that even though there was a stark absence of male figures, the, the male spirit was still hovering above everything that was happening, except for that middle section. And for me, it's really interesting that it, um, I felt that it was actually portrayed, um, I guess, in a very, um, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, substitutional manner, I suppose, through the Countess herself. Like, you know, the, the role of the patriarchy was enforced by the Countess. And so you kind of get this sense of, of the male power still dominating that world. And the only time it really, truly disappeared 
was when the countess left. And then you have the world of the three women, you know, in, in question there, you've got, you know, uh, Marianne, Eloise and, and Sophie. And then it became this kind of homosocial world that you were referring to there, there Michelle. And, and I kind of felt like, you know, that's, that's when we kind of got that sense a little bit more, but there, there was certainly a sort of permeation of, of male figures for me anyway, through, throughout most of the film. I, I thought it was a really fascinating subversion of power and, and the patriarchy because, you know, sort of the, the, the premise for Marianne being there was completely, you know, sort of at the will of the, the man who commissions the, the, the painting for the, for the wedding that's going to um, take place. Uh, so you see all of these people operating, you know, sort of, um, you know, in accordance with with the, the wishes or the will of, you know, sort of the, as you say, the patriarch, which so completely structures so much what that happens and and of course women are so often um you know sort of you know sort of women and particularly I guess uh sort of older women can be empowered by by that um you know sort of patriarchy but then what you see is that yes the power exists but what people do <laughs> in order to you know sort of what people do in order to negotiate a power um, and, you know, sort of, I guess, being interested in, you know, sort of what's happening, you know, behind the scenes, behind closed doors, you know, within the hearts and the minds and the secret places, you know, sort of, if you're going to maintain the gaze on, you know, sort of, I guess, the, 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 the exterior structures of power, you may never realise that there's this rich, fertile, you know, sort of um, seeming world taking place simultaneously because you know even the um the bonfire you know sort of that night of the bonfire where what you see is that yes and because it is such a historical you know sort of it's 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 so consciously sort of historical fiction um you know of, of course there's all of these uh, sort of patriarchal institutions in place that are that are shaping you know sort of life but you know, sort of go into, you know, sort of the fields at night, uh, you know, sort of go into the, um, you know, sort of the, 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 the women's house where she's going to perform the, the abortion, you know, sort of there's all these places where, you know, sort of people are um, sort of behaving and, and living richly and according to their own terms, despite of, you know, sort of the existence of, of, the, of that overarching power structure. Yeah, I, that's why I really liked the focus on, um, and actually one of the, you know, despite I really loved this movie as a whole and I really like, loved the relationship between Marianne and Eloise, but I really, really liked the focus on Sophie the Maid um, because it is it is going behind the scenes of one of these stately, you know, 18th century homes that um, is, is propped up by this secret world of, of women and maids and um, domestic cares that are hidden away in places like the kitchen, that are hidden away in the non-showpiece rooms because, you know, there's a lot of beautiful rooms in this house. Um, but the real life of the of the house is the, the private bedrooms, the, the kitchen, all of these places that aren't for kind of um, public consumption or public gaze. Um, so I really, I think that's, for me, that's the real um, appeal of this movie is that it's not about the, the stately, even though it's beautiful, it's not about like the stately kind of 18th century, like upper class um, shenanigans that most movies set in this period are about. It's about the, the quiet, the domestic, the help, 
you know, Marianne is there, even though she's an artist, she's there as a help, you know, she's there as, as, a, as a servant, really, um, of this rich family. And I liked that focus on what goes on underneath um, the spectacle in the bowels of the house. The, as, as Michelle says, the quiet spaces, the hidden parts, the private parts um, of this world. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think the, for me, um, as much as I love the two um, protagonists, I was always drawn to the maid as, as kind of a much more interesting character, mainly because there's, there's, there's a rich uh, inner world that we only get glimpses of with the maid. And, and for me, that kind of made her really, really fascinating. And I guess um, the, the scene that really brought her to the forefront for me was that abortion scene, um, which was quite startling, you know, the, the moment that she aborts um, is the moment that she also makes contact with with a baby, you know, on that bed as well. You know, that that stark juxtaposition of the of the two activity was was for me just so powerful and and, and so fascinating in terms of um, exploring, you know, what women were going through, I suppose, during, during this period. Um, and and the other thing that I was also thinking about was, you know, sort of going back to this idea of the the, the female gaze, because um, I was trying to figure out exactly what separated the female gaze from, from the male gaze. And I completely agree with the idea that the female gaze um, invites, I suppose, a gazing back or invites, you know, um, or at, at least allows for the, the object to be gazed back at. But other than that, I, I kind of struggle to, uh, to look at the difference. Can either of you illuminate uh, on, on the difference, I suppose, or, or the, the primary difference between the male gaze and the female gaze? Um, 2003 million years of oppression. No, but I suppose it's and, and <laughs> Sorry, no, I was just being a little bit. Um... But it's, 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 it's not men looking. Yeah, I know, but uh, it's the part that I was trying to, because I was trying to understand, and, and this is the part that, that I really struggle with, because if it's a film that's trying to get me to understand something, I didn't understand it. And this is what I wanted to understand. I wanted to know what exactly is behind, what, what is the fundamental difference between the female gaze and the male gaze? Taking aside the historical context and taking aside all that, fundamentally, is there a main difference between the male gaze and the female gaze? Look, I, I wonder if that was part of the, because I think, because because obviously, you know, there, there's this sort of historical material um, you know, sort of reality behind, um, you know, sort of, I guess, oppressive, the oppression and inequality, you know, like, so, so that's there. But I, I think when you um, saw the extended gaze at the very end, for example, which was quite an unsettling experience to watch um, Eloise so intensely um, as she really, I guess, you know, I, I, and she did viscerally, um, you know, sort of demonstrate her rising emotions, you know, sort of erupting into tears and things like that. Um, you know, was what was that in terms, of course, that was that the, the music was there and another aspect, you know, there was the, the gaze um, and there was also that questioning of art and, you know, sort of what, um, you know, sort of what, what art does as well. Um, For me, it was 
what was viscerally different about this film is that the parts of Eloise that are focused on, because the way that she's focused on as a piece of art herself is quite interesting. And it's always about her, the back of her head and her ear. And it's not about, like, to be more crude, I am, you know, if this was a, a male gaze-focused film, that would have been entirely the front of her, so to speak. It would have been um, and it would have been, it would have been breasts, absolutely. And this was about her, you know, the curl of her hair around her ears and her neck and all of these sorts of things. It was a different way of looking. It wasn't a exploitative way of looking. It was a um, celebratory way of looking. But it was, it was also the spaces that were looked at. You know, yes. so it was the fact that, um, you know, because it, it, it's not that um, it, it was that particular um, construction of that scene of which was so intimate um, of the abortion where, you know, sort of baby and, and you know, sort of those sorts of decisions are ones that are, I guess, attempting to construct a different gaze, you know, what you look at. Um, and at what angle you look at and what you put together. And so I guess, you know, so that, that is part of what changes. And, of course, you know, there, there's lots of films where, you, you know, I guess um, you sort of, uh, male directors have, have looked at interiors and, and, you know, sort of spaces differently. So I think from that perspective it, it is and it gets difficult to say what is a female gaze, what is a male gaze, because, you, you know, I, I think that it's true, especially, you know, sort of over the last, um, you know, sort of a few decades or, or whatever, you know, perhaps that, that, that distinction hasn't been as, as, as stark. But, but I think that if you were going to take, you know, sort of a larger cross-section, um, you know, sort of dating back to, you know, sort of the beginning of, of art, because, you know, art is so much part of it, then you do sort of start to see. Because it was also, if you think about the fact that she, as, an, uh, as, as, a, as a female artist, was prevented from seeing the male body and so therefore she was mm. precluded from the scenes of mythology you know, she couldn't she couldn't paint certain scenes because she could yeah. subject matter was out of her reach because as a woman she was prevented from seeing the male body, you know, because that made certain themes and because because that um, you know, sort of because of what was valued as art at that point in time, that meant she could really only ever be a minor artist. She could do the little portraits, she could do the little clothed scenes, she could do the little this, even the painting that she did of Orpheus. Um, and Eurydice at the end was, um, you know, sort of under her father's name because otherwise it wouldn't have shown. So, you know, when we when that when you take that into account and then you see what the film is looking at and where the gaze is being directed, um, and you know, it, because it is, I mean, how often were we drawn to the um, to, to the material, like the fabric being painted? You, yeah. you know, in that painting. And you could actually, this, the camera almost slid over, um, you know, sort of her, her decollage. Like you, you'd sort of just get a little bit of a glimpse. Um, but actually it was, and it, it, it was sort of just this gentle sort of panning, but where the, the actual centre of the, the camera would end up, you know, sort of on the, the folds of velvet or on, you know, sort of eyes or like you said, the curl or the, the, the hair. Um, so, so I, I think that it was the it was it was I think it was the choice, and it was probably less distinguishable because of so many movies where that is is more 
blurred, you know, because there are so many movies now where male gaze, you know, sort of goes into interiors and domestic spaces and, you know, looks differently and doesn't sort of objectify women. So I think you do have to kind of take into account that whole tradition um, of... And, and also it was so far, like, I mean, you know, the um, the moment where she has the the the, the mirror, um, you know, sort of so incredibly um, perfectly placed, you know, just the right size mirror, um, you know, uh, you know, I think that is, a, you know, that was a very self-conscious, you know, sort of reflection of the gaze, you know, because we're not looking there, you know, we're actually looking at the face of the painter mm. at the same moment that we're supposed to be looking at, you know, sort of the pubic area, you know, like where you've got the mirror sort of placed there. Um, you get once again, I think, a tongue-in-cheek kind of reversal of, you know, sort of where the gaze is going, um, which I think was a bit playful and perhaps um, even. Yeah, I think there's a nice pick-up. I'd like to pick up on um, the point you made about, like, her as Marianne as a minor artist because I think I think the movie is playing with idea, that idea because she's, you know, everyone thinks of this kind of art as, you know, non-threatening, you know, very staid, you know, it's just drawing pictures of pretty ladies, you know, it's all very kind of minor and silly. and um, But it actually has this kind of radical potential um, to it and it's got this real importance and heft. And I think that what the film is doing is, you know, saying, okay, well, actually the lives and experiences and art of women isn't silly or insubstantial or shallow it is it has this kind of real explosive radical potential to it and so the movie itself becomes a reflection of the kind of art that Marianne does which is sort of written off as minor but is in fact incredibly um, powerful and incredibly potentially subversive because of course you know nobody thinks of um, women painting women as a problem but you know what they get up to is a problem (laughs) so you know there's there's a nice potential for subversiveness there hidden in this art form that has always been denigrated trivialized etc and and i think that that's a really good point because i think women's sexuality has always been um you know the the idea that you know sort of women might get together and, and have erotic relations um you know it, it, it's 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 one of those things where um I guess it's it's almost been um what would you say not er- eroded but it, it's 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 almost it's it, it's almost become it's almost a null and a void as, as though it's 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 not worth worrying about or that it's unimaginable yeah, it's like it, it can't exist yeah yeah it can't exist it's like it's not it's a non between men is different but it's it's not it's not something that happens you know yeah as though women's sexuality is a non-event I think I think yeah is is that idea behind why it's so fine for women you know whose um purity has to be looked after to be together um and then that film Mm. very much shows that you know sort of because it 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 asks you to reimagine all of those scenes that we've been told you know are you know sort of safe chaste proper Mm. and it's well actually you know this is what's been getting on going on and it does have this you know sort of this is this is this is this is sexuality too Mm. and and I think that's a really important thing because I I think that's what gets right you know when you say it doesn't matter if women are left alone together 
um, mm. you're saying that their sexuality doesn't matter or it doesn't have the same. Yes, precisely. Yeah. Um, and, you know, sort of, I think that's something that the film does really powerfully um, because it, it's, it's, it's slow, isn't it? And it, it really, um, you know, sort of, it, it, it definitely, it, it takes you through, you know, sort of the stages of seduction and um, it, it, it makes you sit with it um, mm. in, in a way that you, you cannot but acknowledge, um, you know, sort of the potency of that that sort of um you know sexuality i think yeah jimmy did you want to come did you want to come in here sorry no 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 i was just gonna say um so i mean while you guys were talking i was just trying to think about what it is that's that's sort of separating what you've been saying and i think you know michelle maybe you've kind of touched on on the point a bit there which is i suppose it has more to do with my um reading or my understanding i guess of this idea of gazing um, and what we've been attributing or what people have been attributing to the male gaze, I've mainly been attributed to objectification. So when you talk about the male gaze, a lot of times it's about objectifying the female and you know, sexualizing the female. But I've always sort of seen the male gaze as doing more than just simply objectifying. And so that's when, when I looked at this, it was like, well, yes, there is that lack of objectification. But um, I was thinking of another film that had a very, very similar scene of a, um, a woman getting painted uh, and that was uh, Alfonso Cuaron's uh, 1998 um, adaptation of Great Expectations, where the uh, Estelle character uh, has her portrait drawn. Um, and and there's, there is a sexualization, but at the same time, there isn't a sexualization because she's pretty much blurred out for the entire uh, um, actual portrait itself, even though she's nude. Um, the object is on him drawing her and him becoming more and more obsessed with her as he he draws her so his gaze makes him much more obsessed with her and there is that desire as opposed to possess uh, or, or to conquest you know to, to conquer um this mythical you know figure that that he's beginning to build up inside of him for those who you know um great expectations <clears throat> whereas with this one there was less a sense of um conquest but there was certainly that idea of possession that i thought still kind of existed in the same um way uh, but what clarified I guess for me a little bit more uh, about the, the the differences in in approach was actually the way that they interpreted um, the Orpheus and Eurydice myth which for me was just wonderful because I, I, I love you know, I love mythology and I love different readings of mythology and I think that very idea um, something that we had always taken for granted I can't remember which character said it now I, th I think it may have been uh, Eloise who said it but um, the assumption has always been that Orpheus is the one who decides to look, to turn around and look at Eurydice. But it was Marianne who said, well, what if she wanted to be, what it was, you know, she who called out and said, look at me, which is what uh, Eloise effectively does you know, during their parting scene. You know, she wants to be able to control the image that is left of her at the end and not leave it to the whims of whoever is capturing the image, regardless of whether it's male or, or female in this case. So in the, in the Eurydice, in the Orpheus and Eurydice story, it's Eurydice who's calling back to Orpheus to look at her, according to Marianne's version, uh, sorry, Eloise's version. Uh, and in life, <laughs> I can't think of another way to, to address it, um, it is, again, uh, Eloise who controls what Marianne sees. She says, you know, look back at me. So it's a case of, I suppose, you know, giving power back to the object 
rather than being you know, the, the object being objectified in that manner. And I thought that was actually a really interesting and quite a powerful um, message you know, to, to come out of that, especially that retelling of the Orpheus and Eurydice uh, story. But what I also thought was really interesting in that retelling, though, is that uh, of all the people who you know, looked at her painting, um, Marianne's painting at the end there of Orpheus Eurydice, it was uh, an old male critic who understood what she was trying to do in, in that particular scene. You know, it, it was he who sort of made the point as, you know, oh, it, it looked like they were actually saying farewell to each other. And she just sort of looked at him with, with a smile on her face, like, you know, yes, you, you get it. Yeah, I, I thought that, you know, sort of with that painting, because she's, you know, she's on the, she's sort of in the process of falling back from, from, from the cliff. And so, you know, it was almost as though, because I think, I, I think it was that, because I always think about Blanchot when there's Orpheus and, and Eurydice and, and that idea of, you know, sort of art, which I think is talked about a little bit earlier on. Um, and the, um, but, but at that moment, it was, it, it was, I, I felt that it was the, um, it, it was the preservation of the, of the, the moment of good, you know, the loss, you know, because, because I think he sort of talked about the way that it was usually captured at the cusp you know, the threshold of it happening, whereas she's actually taken it one step further when he, she's already, you know, sort of on her way down. Um, do, do, you, you know, so, you know, sort of there's this obsession with capturing that precise moment in art where, you know, sort of just as Orpheus looks and just as, you know, sort of Eurydice is there, whereas she's kind of, you know, she's taken it that one step further to the point where actually it's happened and they're breaking apart you, you know like that break the, the capturing of the the, the the break and the breaking apart you know sort of rather than just that moment when they're on because I think people have you know obsessed over the the, the the sort of that moment um you know sort of whereas I think she sort of takes it um just that one step further um, because it's an awful image. I mean, she's off, off, you know, and it, it feeds back to the beginning of whether, you know, they jumped. Um, I, I actually couldn't get the subtitles. And so I was listening <laughs> in the original. <laughs> just, so, um, you know, sort of when she's just questioning the maid, you know, whether, how did she know that she didn't fall? And it was because she didn't scream. Is that, is that right? Was that in the subtitles or that wasn't in the, or have I just not, um, you know, at the very beginning when she arrives and she's, she, you know, she's had the conversation with the Countess and then afterwards she's talking to, um, you know, she's talking to the maid and she, she says, you know, how did you know she didn't jump? But I, I didn't see the subtitles, so I'm just suddenly thinking maybe I've misinterpreted. Was that there? No, I think that's correct. I haven't watched it for a few weeks, I have to admit. Jimmy, do you remember? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. So that's correct, so, I think. Yeah. Yeah, so that, that's absolutely correct. So it was about the the um, uh, the older sister who we don't see, uh, and yeah, the, the question. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, from Marianne was, um, how do you know, you know it wasn't an accident? And and the maid said because she didn't scream, so therefore it was, it was purposeful. You know, if she it was an accident. She if she fell, she would have screamed. You know, she would have cried out for help, and she would have done something. But it was completely silent. You know, in, in which case, you know, it, it wasn't. Um, uh, an accident it was intentional that she kind of jumped and also I think this point is furthered by um, Eloise herself when when she said you know she received a letter from her sister apologizing um, 
you know, before she she died, and uh, uh, Marianne asked what she was apologizing for, and Eloise said, you know, not sure, maybe for leaving me her fate. And so it's, it's it sounds then like it was a very purposeful thing. You know, she didn't want to get married, and so you know, her death then basically transferred her marriage to her younger sister, um, and that was kind of her apology. Um, that so, so I think we, both of those stories kind of um, combined together paint uh, a picture that yeah, you know, that the older sister did commit suicide. Yeah, and, and I, sorry, go on, Michelle. No, you go. Look, I, I was just going to say that, you know, I think it's it's very easy to know that women were oppressed or, you know, had no choice or, you know, all, all of those experiences that we sort of, you know, sort of know with our minds, but that it's actually in the telling of the story um, that we can feel, we can feel it. You, you know, so, so so I think that there's there's all of those countless marriages that happened against, you know, sort of people's wills and all of the, you know, sort of the counts, all, all of that weight of history. And, and then in the sort of the, the telling of the, the story um, and the, I guess, the dwelling on it over the course, you, you come to you come to feel it. Um, and, and I think that that was, uh, you know, sort of that that's a that's an act of remembering isn't it um and i guess moralizing um that's you know sort of very powerful i really liked the at the the very very final scene um where she sees um eloise um in the at the concert and vivaldi's playing because again their their relationship has always been i mean that is it's a sort of beautiful sentimental moment but also um their relationship has always been mediated through art. So it's appropriate that it plays out entirely through the means of art. Um, it's just this, and it, you know, they don't have this kind of big reunion scene. One of them doesn't even know the other is there. It's just art speaking for them as it always has, as art has always been at the center of their relationship. So I thought that was just a, um, such a lovely and fitting end to the film that again it's mediated through a piece of art rather than being about you know grand declarations or dramatic moments like I feel like a lesser movie would have taken the kind of more obvious route for that final scene and had them have some kind of big you know romantic moment to farewell or something like that but instead it's just it's a piece of art that just sort of sits there and asks you to to look yeah, and it really sets up once again, you know, sort of that dynamic of, because obviously Marianne, we don't see her again. So we're mm. effectively left with her gaze, um, mm. you know, sort of to the, um, you know, sort of to, 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 to Vivaldi. And so it's a very private moment that we're glimpsing, even though it's at the, um, even though it's at the concert hall, because, you know, um, Eloise is sitting alone. She's not with her husband. She's not with her family. Um, you know, and and so it's her. It's 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 her. It's her personal and private reaction to Vivaldi, um, which I, I I think you know it speaks volumes because if she knew that she was being watched, then those tears are in part for you know sort of the audience. But in not mm. knowing that she's being watched. That's uh, you know that's a spontaneous eruption of of, of feelings um, that you know 
and this is the other thing, um, we imagine that they're connected to her love and to her feelings, but actually we don't know. So, so they could genuinely be the responses, you know, sort of that Vivaldi uh, elicits as she, as she sits and, and, and watches um, the, the, the movie. And so there's this sort of co combination of seeing without knowing um, and it's intimate and yet, you know, sort of obviously um, we're, we're, we're in, the, in the concert hall and it's, it's yeah, and, and I, I guess that's the other thing that's done so beautifully is the way that darkness is used throughout the film you know like that lovely sort of chiaroscuro of, of the darkest like you know sort of the the you walk into the kitchen and and it's it's, it's dark you know it's properly dark at night time um or when you walk into the um you know sort of the the uh woman's um you know sort of you who performs the the abortion the the darkness of interiors um and then just those glimpses of the um, spectral Eloise in her wedding dress, which is so gothic um, and so suggestive, and uh, you know it's 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 it was it's unnerving. I, you know, I was unnerved the first um, you know sort of the first apparition, um, and it was beautiful because actually she walks. It's it's totally unacknowledged. And she walks in and finds the actual Eloise there. And of course, it's the night that they, they make love. So um, mm. it, it was it was really it was fascinating from sort of this sort of haunting, but also uh, from from sort of, I guess, the, 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 the premonition, you know, is it a haunting? Is it a premonition? Um, you know, sort of is it the projection? Is it the, you know, and, and it, it's I, it's just um, and particularly because it's obviously the wedding dress that she ends up in uh and yet it's it's mm. and i guess there's no i guess there's no way of knowing whether it's what um what marianne sees or whether it's what the audience sees because you know she doesn't have a response like marianne has no response to it you know she doesn't walk in and say oh i just saw your ghost <laughs> you know she, she walks in um and then just sort of takes her in her arms or whatever so 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 there's just there's all these questions um, that that arise as you as you think back on it, and of course because it's just it's it's so shot through with that um, sort of that that light and dark that it is and it does feel as as though it's been imprinted on your mind, um, which I think is part of what made the film, you know, just so entrancing. Jimmy, did you did that this sort of address <laughs> some of your problems about the film with um, the film? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're not necessarily problems. It's it's more, I think for me, because I like the film, I, I want to understand more. And I felt like there were a lot of gaps in terms of my own personal, I guess, understanding of, of where it was taking. And it, it has illuminated some of those ideas a, a little better. But um, at the same time, it also raises other issues that I was just try, trying to grapple with while you guys were, were talking as well, especially with that final scene, because I did find that final scene very, very moving and very, very beautiful. Um, but kind of looking at it from the perspective of, I guess, um, the, the artist's gaze, um, because, yeah, you know, you're right, we don't, uh, we don't see Marianne's reaction. We, we see Eloise. And the question I suppose I'm left with, you know, because Michelle kind of raised that question is, what are we seeing exactly? Are we seeing Eloise uh, in her uh, un- aware state as in she's not aware that people are gazing upon her or is th is this her knowing that you know she's been 
gazed upon and therefore it's not really her that's there. So it got me thinking about, you know, well, is the real mystery here then the mystery of Eloise herself? Um, you know, do we know who Eloise actually is or are we getting really only the perspective of Eloise from Marianne? Um, because Marianne also made another really interesting comment about the Orpheus myth, which is that um, the Orpheus uh, in turning around makes the, uh, the artist's decision rather than the lover's decision, which I thought was really interesting, you know, that he chooses memory over, you know, the, the real uh, in, in that case. And I wonder whether that then also applied to, to Marianne. You know, is she choosing memory over, you know, the actual Eloise? There was a, there's a really stark uh, and startling uh, image that, I, that, that always brings to my mind um, that kind of stayed with me while I watched the film, which is the first portrait we saw of uh, Eloise, and that's basically of her dress and everything else, but not her face, because the you know the the, the male painter couldn't get her to to sit still to um, uh, to pose for his for his painting, so we never get a portrait of her face. And then the next time we see a portrait of her, it's now Marianne's inter interpretation, but this one is not approved by the subject herself. You know, so Eloise is saying. That looks is this is this how you see me because you know that that looks nothing like me and she she makes a direct criticism of this work and the only one that she really approved of was the one where um marianne painted it after i suppose they became lovers uh, and she looked at this and she says you know that you know that now looks like me so really that's the only one that that she approves of where she has some sort of participation in the actual art itself and at the end there in that final scene it's a scene again of non-participation. She's either being watched unobserved and therefore her vulnerabilities is put you know, to display without her permission, uh, or as you know, was suggested, she is aware and therefore she's kind of you know, putting out there what she wants other people to see. So I'm kind of left with that unusual dilemma um, now by the, by the end of that discussion. What do you guys think? Look, I think the, um, I, I guess I probably did think of her as being captured um, unaware. I, I think that that was my interpretation of that because, you know, where um, when Marianne ent enters, uh, there's nobody near her either. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like this, she walks into the um, into the into this into the stall, and there's a single there. I mean, there is, I guess, a single man that she walks past in order to get to her seat. Um, and and so I guess you know, sort of the mechanics for me were potentially that given that it's dark, given that the people below won't be able to see her, at best. You know, I guess the other guy in that stall beside her, potentially. But I, I, I felt that there were enough cues. But I, I don't know. Like I, I hadn't actually questioned whether or not she was aware of being watched. I did question. Um, I, I, you know, I found it. I found it uncomfortable to watch her rising emotion. You know, I loved the music, and I, and and I, I, I almost felt distracted by having to watch her sort of gather momentum as she, you know, like I'm sit, I am was sitting there and, of course, it would be an enormously difficult thing to make your face, you know, sort of do 
all you know sort of all of that um that work for you and and I did have you know sort of that discomfort in, in especially in the as a final scene um and of course she, she ends up sobbing uh, and, and actually I think you can almost feel in her sobbing you can almost feel the the deprivation of breath because there's a lot of corset you know there's a lot of corset pulling and you know I, I could almost you know that was a cry that was from somebody who was you know sort of who <laughs> whose lungs were compressed <laughs> you know um and and so it sort of added I guess um, you know, sort of levels to it. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it is interesting. And, of course, it, it does, you know, sort of, I guess, require that interrogation of, of what, you know, sort of what, what gaze that camera holds, you know, sort of at, at, at that moment. You know, is it, is it Marianne's gaze? Has it moved away from Marianne? And, and I guess by looking at times when perhaps you know sort of it, it's the omniscient camera and I've only saw it once so I couldn't you know I couldn't do that but you know sort of the points at which there was an omniscient camera as opposed to you know sort of a ca op occupying that of a of a character um I guess would go some way to to decoding that um I don't know what, what do you think Stephanie yeah, I, I guess my my reading of it sort of aligns with you. I just thought that it was incredibly appropriate that in this film about looking and about art and about watching and being watched and turning back and being seen and not being seen, that we have this ambiguity around what is happening in the final scene and this ambiguity about who is watching, who is seeing, what the what the emotion is about, what it's not about, what the art is communicating. I just think I like, I almost like it to be held in that kind of ambiguous space. I, I mean, I, like I said, I think a lesson movie would have given us a, mu a much more kind of a dramatic ending um, or a much more kind of certain ending. It, it was a very... I liked Sorry. Yeah, because it was a very pointed ending. Because you know, in yes. many respects, you could quite happily. You can imagine a second film where it finished with the number twenty-eight on the painting. Yeah, and that would have been, and that's kind of much more pointed and much more direct and much more obvious what it means. A little bit cliche um, as well. You know, that would have been quite. Yeah, yeah, a, yeah. That ending there would have been. You see, I'm still. You know, you're still. I'm not still fine. thinking I'm about this. Yeah. Yeah, but, the, but the, the way that it ended, it was not clear. It was just this this moment of no answers being given, but just this suggestion of what's happening. And I liked that. I think it, it played into the Orpheus and Eurydice myth. It played into all of these experiments that the film's doing with the gaze and who's watching, who's being seen, who was the artwork, who was the painter, blah, blah, blah. And so it's it was just the most thematically kind of resonant way, I think, to, to, to end the film. Well, they were separated by the abyss. Yes, in a, in a right, quite literally, <laughs> yes. You know, there's the abyss between them. But I think it's also part of the point of the movie is that it's taking women, you know, sort of beyond um, being defined by, you know, sort of their moment of love or their moment of romance. So, yes, you know, yes. romance ended, but, you know, sort of their lives continue. And, and I think that in that moment where we finish with her, you know, sort of, going to the muse to to um to the concert alone you know what we see is an autonomous woman um mm. within 
you know, sort of a society that restricts, you know, she's, she's still bounded, but within that, um, you know, sort of within that structure, she is actually finding ways of, um, you know, I guess, you know, sort of feeding her soul, of making decisions. And, of course, she's very privileged, so she has those options that wouldn't be available, um, you know, sort of to, to Sophie. Uh, and I think that's, you know, class is part of, you know, sort of that movie because, you know, Sophie wouldn't have had, you know, the option to go and soothe her soul and listen to, to Vivaldi. Um, but, but yeah, so, 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 so I, I do think that that moment, um, you know, is very pointed on so many levels because we, we do end mm. up with what do women do after, you know, sort of, and what does anyone, you yeah. know, what, what do women do after the moment of love and after the moment of, um, you know, sort of, I guess, um, you know, sort of sexual fulfilment or whatever, you know. Mm. It's not the end of the story or even like what to, what do women do after they get married? You know, it's not the end of the, like, that's, that's where the romance ends, right? But this is the continuation. What happens afterwards. Yeah. 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 And I think that's a lovely place. Yeah, I think it's a lovely place to wrap up this conversation. Thank you so much, Jimmy and to Michelle for, for joining me to talk about Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Oh, no, thank you, Steph. Thank you. It's so good to see you both. Yeah, it's been a while since we both did, since we all did this together, so this has been fun. Um, this has been another episode of From the Lighthouse. If you could rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, I believe that's what it's called these days, um, that would be great. Um, if you have any suggestions for show um, ideas, um, please send them our way at fromthelighthouse.org and we'll see you again soon. Bye.